It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Broadcasting from coast to coast. City to city, coast to coast. It's time for the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. If it's happening in sports, it's being talked about right here. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Good Thursday morning and welcome into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Ryan Hickey Show with you until 11 a.m. Eastern for the next two hours. Hopefully making your Thursday a lot brighter, a lot cheerier than so far, at least the weather outside here in the Northeast. It is it is dreary, it is raining, it is gross, it is chilly, it's cold, it's, it's not a good day. It is absolutely not a good day, but hopefully, at least if you're listening to us, first of all, welcome. We appreciate you starting your morning right here with us on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, and hopefully, at least for the next two hours, you can make that day a little bit brighter, a little bit more exciting, a little bit more cheerier than, again, if you look out the window, especially here in the Northeast, and you see the rain and the clouds, and hopefully, um, if you are in the path, at least, of the latest hurricane, you are staying safe and sound um, as well. So as always, we're coming to you live as a reminder from the Big Eater Pizzeria Studios. And days like today, right, when it's rainy, when it's cold, you don't really feel like cooking, you don't really feel like doing anything, doesn't pizza sound great? Not only do they have pizza, Hot Heroes Phenomenal Dinner, check out Big Italy Pizzeria if you're on the island, if you're in Medford, Joe's Pizzeria at Bayshore Online, if you're anywhere, to get a cheerier day, to maybe cheer your day even more, at BigItalyPizza.com. We have a lot to get to on this Thursday. As you can see, if you're watching the stream on my Penn State Sweatshirt on, hopefully trying to bring some good vibes after that just debacle to open the season against Indiana. A, um, a big game, to say the least, going against uh, Ohio State this weekend. We will talk with Teddy Pilar, one of my guys, Penn State alum, trying to bring some of those good vibes, that good juju on the show. He'll be our Hickey's Pickies guest picker for week number eight to end the show at 1040. If you listened last week. All right, my guy Rob Young came in very confident. He came hot, guaranteed himself four to five corrections, uh, selections correct, excuse me. Let's say he got four to five. He promised that. He delivered on the promise of four to five. The only problem is he was four to five wrong. Teddy, natural confidence. So maybe that, that philosophy will pay off. He'll do Hickey's Pickies at 1040 and the show. Three storylines I'm watching in week number eight. Um, for three different teams, I think that these are kind of statement games, an opportunity to get this season going, get the second half of the season going for these three teams. 9.40. Top of the second hour, 10 o'clock here, because, again, you know, it's a big college football weekend, at least for yours truly, with Penn State taking on Ohio State. We're bringing the great Bill Bender. Very excited to have Bill on. The last time we had Bill on, it was talking about the Big Ten uh, possibly looking like most likely not playing this fall. There was, we were talking about if there's any sort of hope that they can reverse their decision. That time, uh, morale was very low to say the least, but thankfully now, the next time we have Bill on, we are talking about football in the fall. We'll discuss, is there anything, anything Penn State can do to make this a close game against Ohio State, maybe even trip up Ohio State? Because this is the one team in Penn State that's been able to consistently push, come close to Ohio State in the Big Ten at least the last few years. And, I mean, game of the year so far, the matchup of the year, I should say, that we did not see coming. After the first week of Big Ten action, Indiana and Rutgers for first place in the Big Ten East, just like we all thought it would be after week number two. So Bill will discuss that at 10 o'clock, um, and I do want to kind of dive a little bit deeper into that Penn State-Ohio State matchup as well at 10:20. I do, though, want to start with obviously the biggest story of the week so far, 
going back to Monday night, game number six, Dodgers and Rays takes place. And as we know, as we've seen, as you listen to, or excuse me, Tuesday night, I apologize, Tuesday night, two nights ago, the Dodgers win the World Series, right? They win three to one, win game six, win the series four to two. And one of the biggest discussion points during the game, when it happened, and then after the game, was Rays manager Kevin Cash decided to pull Blake Snell, who was dominating, who was mowing through that Dodgers lineup in the sixth inning. And as we know, he makes a decision to pull Blake Snell. Reliever Nick Anderson comes in, gives up the lead, and the Rays end up losing the game. Blake Snell, through the sixth inning, or I should say, after getting one out in the sixth inning, faced 18 batters total, nine strikeouts. Struck out half the guys he faced, allowed just two hits. But Kevin Cash cited after the game the big decision why he wanted to pull Blake Snell. I'm sure you heard it a million times yesterday. Is that he didn't want the Dodgers, I mean, he didn't want Blake Snell, excuse me, face that Dodgers lineup a third time through. And I'm here at least because during, especially in the moment, what happened Tuesday night, I'm perusing social media, I'm going through Twitter. Obviously, Twitter is exploding. One of the few times everyone has really been, for the most part, in agreement on Twitter was that Kevin Cash should not have pulled Blake Snow. Analytics were getting attacked. At least I want to defend analytics a little bit here. That's not the issue. Analytics is not the reason that Blake Snow was pulled. Analytics should not be blamed for Kevin Cash making that decision. Analytics aren't the enemy here. The enemy is absolutes. Is sticking with one thing no matter what without using any nuance. That's really what I want to know. Where did the nuance in baseball go? Really, where did the nuance in sports go? But I want to kind of specify this to baseball specifically coming off Kevin Cash's decision. Where is the nuance? Where did it all go? Because, again, to blame analytics is short-sighted and you're missing the whole point of the Rays competing in just in general. Right? The Rays got to the World Series because of analytics, because they're one of the most analytically inclined teams in Major League Baseball. There's no doubt about it. There's no argument there. Look at payroll. There's a reason why the Dodgers are third in payroll. They spend millions and millions and millions of, millions of dollars on players. The Rays, on the other hand, 25th in payroll. Between the two, right? when you look at the Dodgers payroll, look at the Rays payroll. The difference is over $100 million. So in theory, there should be no competing. There shouldn't be a level playing field when the gap between spending is that wide. But the Rays compete because they have elite scouting, they rely on the numbers, and the numbers work. Right? Analytics work. There's no argument here about whether analytics is good for the game of baseball, whether it should be trusted. It works. Over a 162-game season, when you're playing every day, the numbers bear out results over the long term. That's what analytics are for. To give you success more times than not in the long term. It's all about averages and percentages. And those averages and percentages, when you have a massive sample size you do in baseball, work out more times than not. But here's, again, the biggest issue and why nuance is needed in baseball and for the Rays and for Kevin Cash. When you're a slave to the numbers, when you look at one thing and one thing only, it comes back to bite you. Because relying on solely the numbers in one circumstance doesn't always bear out the outcome you want. Right, the front office's job, as we know, especially as front offices become more and more analytically driven, analytically inclined, the front office's job is to crunch those numbers. Give the data, give the numbers, give the information to the manager, and he's supposed to make informed decisions on how to make his lineup, how to handle his pitching staff. I mean, right, that's very basic. 
That's what's supposed to happen in theory. But the manager's job, the reason why a manager is even hired in the first place is they have to use those numbers, take that data that they're getting, and also use it in a wise way to make informed decisions. Not just rely on solely numbers, not just rely on one avenue to make their decision. And Kevin Cash, on Tuesday night, was a slave to the numbers. And he essentially said so after game. This is Kevin Cash after the game explaining why he decided to pull Blake Snow. The only motive was that um, the, the lineup the Dodgers features as potent as any team in the league. Personally, I felt Blake had done his job and then some. Uh, Mookie coming around for the third time through. Uh, I value that. Uh, I, I totally respect and understand the, the questions that come with it. So there's Kevin Cash saying the third time, third time through the lineup's coming up. He didn't want Mookie Betts. He didn't want Corey Seager. So obviously great hitters coming up to face Blake Snell a third time. But again, there's no nuance there. That is strictly analytically driven. That is strictly numbers-based, despite the fact that there's no accountability for the flow of the game. That's what the manager is there for, to manage the flow of the game, manage human beings. That's the one thing uh, the analytics can never account for, can never factor in, the human element involved in sports. Right? These guys aren't robots. The numbers, again, bear out over long-term are correct. But when you're in the moment, when you're in the postseason, when the stress is on, when the pressure is on, players respond differently. The flow of the game goes differently. So sure, you can have an idea of not having your pitcher face the line up a third time. The numbers bear out that you want once the starting pitcher faces the line up the third time, their ERA goes up, the amount of hits they go uh, they give up increases. And the velocity off the bat increases. So the numbers again, there's a reason why the third time through the lineup is one that a lot of managers are fearful of for their starting pitcher. But when there's no feel for the game, there's no accounting for what is actually happening in front of you, watching with your eyes, that's when you, come, that's when you get in trouble. All right, to me, th- this, th- this quote I'm going to play right here by Mookie Betts encapsulates it all. Because Mookie Betts is on MLB Network after the game and discussing his reaction when he saw Blake Snell get pulled by uh, Kevin Cash. This is his reaction on watching Blake Snell leave. Um, you know, he was, he was rolling. You know, he, I was like, whew, thank you. Um, you know, he was he was rolling. You know, he he, he was pitching a, a, a fantastic game, and you know, I'm not exactly sure why. And I'm not going to ask any questions. Um, you know, I'm just going to be happy that uh, that we're winners. Think about that. I'm not going to ask any questions. My biggest reaction when I saw Kevin Cash come out of the dugout and take Blake Snell was, "Whew! Thankfully, thank goodness, don't have to face that guy again." Mookie Betts faced him twice, two strikeouts. Corey Seager faced him twice, two strikeouts. So anytime you're making a decision, and this goes for all sports, right? Anytime you're making a decision where the opponent is happy you're doing so, where the opponent is happy to see you come out of the dugout, when the opponent is happy that you are putting this player in the game or taking this player out, nine times out of ten, you got to realize that's the wrong move to make. That is not the way you should be going about your business. I want to go back to, because I remember this, this comparison in my mind sticks out, and that was go back to a few weeks ago. I want to compare it to the Patriots and the Seahawks game. Remember that great, that great game week two, Sunday Night Football? Cam Newton lighting it up, almost 400 yards passing. At the end of the game, never forget, obviously, as we know, Cam was stopped at the one-yard line. But with that final play of the game, I I remember thinking, if I'm a Seahawks fan, I do not want to see Cam Newton run the ball here. That's the one thing I don't want to happen. And so when Cam Newton ran the ball and the Seattle Seahawks got us out, credit to the Seahawks. There's no criticizing that play call. 
Because, again, that was the one thing, if I was a Seahawks fan, I would be petrified of is Cam Newton running the ball there, and they did that. So I understand that you know, that's not an exact science. When you don't have a feel for the game, when you don't account for the dominance that your pitcher has, watching hitters look silly up there, doesn't matter how many times they faced him before. If your pitcher is locked in, if your ace pitcher is locked in, which he was, and the Dodger hitters are confused and can't figure him out, why would you want to ruin that? Why would you want to break it up? So that's where my frustration comes in because, again, analytics got a lot of heat on social media. I understand social media, it is what it is. You can't take it too seriously. But it's not an analytics problem. It's when you rely on those numbers solely to make your decision, to drive your decision-making. That's when you get in trouble. You have to have some nuance. You have to have a, again, I keep saying this, a feel for the game because that's what a manager is there for. If not, what's the point of even having a manager? Why not just have the general manager and the front office who are crunching the numbers, make the lineup, make the pitching decisions, and go from there? In theory, a manager is paid to, again, gather that information, but also make informed decisions. You are allowed to use your gut. You are allowed to use your sense of baseball knowledge to say, you know what, my guy's dealing right now. I'm not going to ruin that. One hit is not going to get me concerned. But unfortunately, again, Kevin Cash, third time through the lineup, and the analytics in his mind dictated the outcome that should happen. There's no reason, zero reason, there's zero, there's not any excuse you can make to validate lifting Blake Snow. And again, the analytics got the race to the World Series. The analytics aren't the issue here. The analytics helped the Dodgers win the World Series. These are two of the most analytically driven teams in baseball. It's when you're a slave to the numbers. It's when you rely solely on just, you know, computers essentially cranking out numbers. And you forget everything else. It's like in life. It's like, it's like you know, really in life. You've got to take everything around you into account to make a decision. If you want to make a truly informed decision, relying on one outlet or one article or one thing someone said or whatever, whatever it is in your decision making, if you just rely on one piece or one source to get your information from or to help guide you in your decision making, sometimes the best decision won't be made. That, to me, was what happened on Tuesday night. The lack of nuance and sticking strictly to the book, sticking strictly to the numbers, obviously, is what got the Rays and Kevin Cash in major, major, major trouble. So I'm curious your thoughts. And this is obviously a big managerial blunder by the Rays, by Kevin Cash. Where does this rank in your mind? How bad of, of a decision was this? And not to mention, too, we'll, we'll look on the other side real quick. The Dodgers. First time in 32 years they won a World Series. Who's next? Who is next to win the World Series and a long drought? So get your thoughts. Worldwide Sports Radio Network on Facebook. WWSRN underscore radio on Twitter. Also on Twitter, Ryan Hickey Show. Tweet me right on Periscope, right on Facebook. We'll get your thoughts. And when we come back, is there hope for the process? Is there hope for the process? The Sixers made a very interesting uh, president of basketball operations hire. I'll tell you who it is and why, I think at least, the direction of the Sixers is actually in good hands. I'll tell you that when the Ryan Hickey Show returns right here on the Worldwide Sports Story Network. 
You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome on back into the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Talking Kevin Cash, obviously going back to his decision on Tuesday night to pull Blake Snell. That decision backfires big time. Ends up losing the Rays to World Series as Dodgers host the trophy for the first time in 32 years. Talking about his decision, I'm asking, where is the nuance in baseball? Analytics is great. It works. But as you see in the end, if you are a slave to the numbers, it is not always the right move. Or no, I should say not the right move. You should not be just a slave to the numbers. It has to have some nuance. It has to have some gut feeling, some thoughts. You're able to make your decision uh, an informed one. And someone on the line right now, very fired up about this decision. Yankee fan himself, so I'm sure he was very excited to see the Rays go down. That is the great Errol Marks, president of the Worldwide Sports Network. What's up, Errol? Uh, I wouldn't say I'm a president. We're all presidents. We're all presidents of the network because we're all a part of a very strong network, and I'm very excited about some of the new shows that are coming on to the network very, very soon. Ryan, your show is awesome. I was listening to your take, my friend, about Trevor Lawrence. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. This is a, I thought we were going to go raise on let's Trevor Lawrence. Let's hear it. Jets fan. Why am I wrong? Well, first of all, I'm an honest Jets fan. If anybody watches my show, I, I think the Jets are a terrible organization right now. I think Joe Douglas is the right guy for the position. I think what you're seeing with Joe Douglas now is he's trying to move pieces because he's trying to get Mike McCagney's guys out of the door. So, I understand what he's trying to do. I understand that he's trying to rebuild by through the draft. This is what Baltimore did. This is what Philadelphia did when they became a Super Bowl championship team. So I love what Joe Douglas is doing, and I think it's a great opportunity to really see um, his eye for talent. Now, with Trevor Lawrence and what you were saying, I, I, I understand a lot of Trevor Lawrence fans don't like the fact that if he becomes uh, available in the draft, he, him going to the Jets, it could ruin his career. You see what's going on with Sam Donald. It's not because of the organization. Sam Donald is not playing well. Now, Sam Donald has been fighting a lot of injuries for the last three years. Every single year since he's come into the league, and it's three years now, he's 23, going to be 24 years old, he's fought some kind of injury. He's missed at least three to four, maybe even five games every single year. So, Looking at Sam Donald, the guy needs to stay healthy. That's one. Number two, he's had two different coaches, Todd Bowles and obviously the great and idiotic Adam Gates. So we understand that. But for anybody to sit here and tell me that if the Jets get the number one pick, Trevor Lawrence should not opt into the draft and go back to play his senior year when he has a chance to win a Heisman and then win a national title, and even if he doesn't win both, he's already won a national title, and he's gonna, he has an opportunity to make a lot of money. Now, if he decides not to opt in and opt out of the draft, he could lose tens of millions of dollars. Why, you ask me? Well, next year, in his senior year, he can get hurt. And if he gets hurt, there's a big chance and a possible chance when he can fall in the draft all the way from one to possibly 10 or 12 
or 13, the significant amount of money that that kid could lose from that. Also, he can obviously hurt himself where he can never play NFL football ever. So when you're telling a kid who's a junior who comes from a, a decently wealthy family, not a very wealthy family, um, a good family, you, me as a, I understand that people don't like the Jets. I understand that they think their organization is run bad. Out of all the organizations, Ryan, how many organizations have won a Super Bowl? Honestly, what is it? 16 out of the 32 teams in the NFL? Now, I understand the Jets have not looked good in the last five, six years because of the Todd Bowles reigns and the Adam Gaze reigns. The Rex Ryan era, Rex Ryan era was a very good era for the New York Jets. So everybody says the Jets are a terrible organization, terrible run. Yeah, I don't like the Johnson family. I think they're a bunch of idiots. They're both morons. Woody over there in England playing with himself. And then Chris Johnson over here that probably doesn't know his ass from his tailbone. But they got the right guy in place. Joe Douglas is the right guy. I really believe that. What he is doing is not stupid. It's not crazy. And I know a lot of fans are saying Trevor Lawrence, and Tim Tebow said it. He said he's got to make sure that the right guy's in place for the coaching position. The right guy. Trevor Lawrence is a young player, okay? And if he wants to come into the league and show people that he is a winner and he wants to win and he wants to take and put a team on his shoulders, and that's what you want to do. When you come into professional sports, you ask Derek Jeter. You ask all the greats, LeBron James, Michael Jordan. Go look at the Chicago Bulls when Michael Jordan wasn't playing on the team. They were terrible. They were horrendous. Go look. Ten years straight, they were a terrible organization. They bring in Michael Jordan, and they're a completely different organization. So I, I, I understand why everybody likes the fact and likes to argue that Trevor Lawrence shouldn't come, shouldn't come into the draft and, and should, shouldn't play for the Jets and all that other stuff. There's a, in the big picture of where the Jets are and where the organization is, uh, I, I really think Trevor Lawrence needs to look at the big Should not be listening to Roddy White. Should not be listening to uh, Tim Tebow. Both guys. Roddy White ever go to the Super Bowl? Uh, Ryan, did he? Did he not? Uh, no, I don't believe he did. My, before uh, I, okay. I want to stop here for a second. I am not av- – I disagree with Roddy White. I'm not advocating Trevor Lawrence to go back to school. I don't think he will go back to school. I think this is it. This is this To me, this is his junior year. He is done. My point was was that when you look at the Jets – you kind of hit on the points where I think that I am very nervous. I'm Trevor Lawrence. Well, I don't want to go there. The ownership is extremely incompetent, whether it's Woody, whether it's Chris. Whoever's in charge next year, because honestly, I, I don't really know how that's going to work if, if Chris comes back or Woody comes back. I don't know. Either way, neither of them have been any sort of competent, put anyone in any sort of position to succeed. Now, my thing here is my biggest concern. Because the, the, the ownership is so toxic, I like Joe Douglas. I think, to your point, right, he has a lot of overhauling to do, which he's starting to do with Mike McCagney. He's put in a, in a tough spot when, you, when you're when you hired after the draft is over, after free agency is over, and basically you have a full year with guys you didn't pick with a head coach that doesn't want these players either. I understand that. But at the same time, my concern with Joe Douglas is the same concern I had really with the Jets after Rex Ryan left. There's no culture setter. There's no one in the Jets organization right now that can take this, this dumpster fire of an organization and turn it around. Now, if that happens, if that hire happens, then okay, maybe I'll reconsider. But the way the league is going, right, where you, you hire young offensive minds, right? We just saw, as, as we always see, whether it's Zach Taylor or it's Matt LaFleur, a lot of these young, hotched offensive coordinators are coming in 
uh, because people and, and the teams assume that this is the new wave of the NFL. Leadership is a new wave of the NFL. It's not the young offensive mind. It is who, who can guys lean on, trust on, and who can turn this culture into a winning culture? Who can have them believe? It's not just an offensive thing. It is a full team philosophy. And my concern is that Joe Douglas is going to fire Adam Gase. I think we both agree that that's probably going to happen at the end of the year. If they hire a young offensive mind, young offensive hotshot, my concern is that neither Joe Douglas nor that new head coach won't have enough gravitas, won't be able to just, because of the weight of the situation of the Jets is so dire right now, be able to turn that franchise around. And like you just mentioned with Sam Donald, he had Todd Bowles as head coach, he had uh, Adam Gase as head coach. We've seen bad organizations, and we'll put the Browns in here because they're the most recent example. When you have unstable leadership at the top, whether it's a general manager, whether it's a president of football operations, whether it's a head coach, if you don't have someone stable that can really take over an organization and lead, it just can be constant, constant, constant turnover. Look at Baker Mayfield. He's had four head coaches, including Greg Williams, right, as an interim, in his three years there. And now the talk in Cleveland is, is Baker Mayfield the guy? Can we trust that Baker Mayfield can lead this team going forward, despite the fact that he's in his third offense in three years? Like, we, we don't know how good um, – Baker Mayfield could be. But because of the fact there's so much turnover, there's so much dysfunction going on, he's a product of that, and he's struggling. I think, personally, Sam Darnold is a, is a victim of that same thing with the Jets. And if I'm Trevor Lawrence, I look at this where, you know what? I have really one shot at this to, make, to kind of set my foot, uh, get my foot solid. Look, Errol, look at every successful quarterback in the NFL. What is the common theme of every winning quarterback right now in the NFL? What's the common theme? They went to stable, competent organizations that put them in positions to succeed. The Jets, similar to the Browns, cannot put young quarterbacks in positions to succeed. How many stable organizations are there in the NFL? There are not many, okay? And how about the Giants, which everybody thought was a stable organization? How stable are they now? I agree. I'm with you. The Jets are in that. The Giants are in that. The Browns are in that. You need someone like Ron Rivera-esque to just take a take hold of the franchise. Say, this is my oh, really? team. We are doing this. Ron Rivera? Ron Rivera. Who I'm not saying him specifically. Oh. I'm saying a, a person like him. The Jets are a mess. The, the Jets aren't one offensive mind away from turning this around. professional sports. How many great teams are there? Seven out of all the teams that are in professional sports. Go look at baseball. Go up and down the teams. Even some of the teams that made it to the playoffs, they shouldn't have even made it to the playoffs. So I, I understand what you're what? saying. There are a lot of organizations. There's a lot of bad ownership. Ownership, and I, I know a lot of people say it always, always leads to the top. It's wrong. They open their pockets. The Johnson family opens their pockets. The only thing the Johnson family has done that I completely are appalled by is the fact that they think Adam Gates is a good coach. But that, isn't, that, isn't that half the battle, though, Errol? You're, you're, this is an, this is a ownership that believes in Adam Gase that said he's an offensive genius. What was that a month ago? They don't believe. Oh come on, Ron. You know they don't believe in Adam Gase. They're just trying to Why protect not? what they said when they hired him. Because they they're trying to protect what they said when they hired him. They didn't want to bring in Mike McCarthy because Mike McCarthy wanted to bring in his own guys and he wanted his own voice in the organization. When Mike McCarthy had his own voice in Green Bay and he had his problem with Aaron Rodgers. Everybody knows the situation. Go look at Mike McCarthy right now with the Cowboys. I mean, seriously. They're talking. I mean, the Cowboys want the Cowboys fans want his head. Errol, Errol, I'll say this for Mike McCarthy. I'm not defending Mike McCarthy, but I'll say this. Do you think he's actually truly calling the shots in Dallas? He's not. He, that, that's not his team. No, no, no. No, no, no. Mike McCarthy isn't. He had to take the team. Listen, he wanted the Jets job. He really 
Jets job. The Jets didn't want to give him the job. When they interviewed him twice, he said he wanted to bring his own guys in. As he should, though, right? All right, hold on. And he said he wanted his own voice in the organization. When he, when, when the Johnson family heard that, and 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 the whole the whole thing with uh, Mike McCacken. Mike McCacken thought he had a job. He thought he was going to keep his job. And what is it? And that was that was another thing that I was uh, just appalled by with the Johnson family. Okay, that there were two things that really stood out to me in the last 12, 13 years with the Jets that I'm appalled by. And I, I will be the first one to say this. And I'm a real Jet fan because I think they're a, a crappy team right now. And I think you've seen it, and I've seen it in many, many times in the NFL. These teams, in one year, they can they can have a complete turnaround. Turnaround. The Jets have money and they have draft stock, so they can turn this thing around right away if Joe Douglas picks right and he makes the right choice. How come they free. haven't done that in years, in past years? Like I said, spending's not the issue. Joe They're Douglas not cheap. Has only been there for a year. Joe Douglas has only been there for a year. But it's not, I'm not saying it's just Joe Douglas. It's before Joe. Like this is a cycle, Errol. That we've seen throughout time and time and time, they have failed to make they have failed to make good coaching hires. They failed to make good general manager hires. Why? Let me ask you this: I understand you're you're a Jets fan, and I'm like I understand that optimistic I'm a hope. Why why are you believing that Joe Douglas is the guy to turn this around? When again, we've seen time after time again, the Jets have failed to make good hires in, in both in both head coaching and general manager's positions. Why why is Joe Douglas different? I'll give you I'll give you two answers right now. Jamal Adams. Everybody said there's no way in hell the Jets are going to get two first round draft picks for Jamal Adams. They're not going to get more. If they're lucky, they get a one and a late one at best. What did What did Joe Douglas do? He completely turned the turned the time right in front of their face. What did he do? He got two first round draft picks from Seattle. He got a third, and he got Bradley McDougal. Uh, a good starter who he's probably going to trade at the trade deadline and get a sixth or a fifth for that. So he got four draft picks for one guy, two first-round draft picks. Then he trades Le'Veon Bell. Now, everybody says, I mean, I, he released Le'Veon Bell. Oh, why did he – everybody says, well, that was a terrible move. He could have gotten some picks for him. He tried to move Le'Veon Bell. Then there was some stories coming out that if Le'Veon Bell claims he got hurt, they have to pay him $8 million and it will affect their salary cap next year moving forward with keeping Le'Veon Bell on the on the roster. He decided to release him before that day where it could affect them anywhere, uh, you know, for free agency. So I, I think what he is doing right now, he is making it, he's opening up opportunity for the Jets to look at free agency this, free agency this year. Remember, now everybody says, why did he bring in wide receivers? Why didn't he help Sam out? Who was available in free agent last year? Free agency last year, there was nobody. AJ Green was available, and he signed a seventeen million dollar uh, franchise tag to stay with Cincinnati because Joe Burrow's wanted to play with them. So there was nobody available, none. This year, they got T.Y. Hilton, they got Allen Robinson, they got all these guys that are available. And trust me, believe you think those guys me, are going to the Jets? Oh, I think one of them are going to go to the Jets. I do. I think the Jets. We'll open the pocket and bring in a wide receiver. Arrow, I Arrow. absolutely would. I want to say this. The spending is not I, the I, issue. The money is like free agents aren't going to the Jets, not because the Jets aren't willing to shell out the money. Free agents aren't going to the Jets because they really, that's where careers go to die. And that's what I'm nervous about for, for Trevor Lawrence. You have, okay, I'll, I'll throw a uh, last thing here. 
I'll throw this out this way. The, this is the same ownership that liked Mike McCagnon, backed Mike McCagnon, let him go through the draft, let him go through free to spend a ton of money. Again, spending wasn't the issue. They spent a ton of money. They allowed the head coach that Mike McCagnon and them hired in Adam Gase to say three weeks after, after the draft's over, this is not my guy, let's get him out of here. They said, you know what, you're right, let's, let's fire him. Like the, the, to me, again, that is not good ownership. And again, whether it's Joe Douglas, whether it's the next head coach he hires, whether it's two or three years from now when the, when the Johnsons panic again and they fire them because they don't like what's going on and they're blaming Trevor Lawrence because there's no one around him and he can't throw the ball to anyone, he can't get any offensive line protection, he can't ha hand the ball off to anybody. That, to me, the cycle is going to repeat itself. If there is a Rex Ryan-like type coach who can come in and, again, take over the entire team call the shots, build a culture going forward, and basically saying, the Johnsons, spend the money, but this is my team. I, I am making the I am calling the shots here. I am setting the tone. Th then, you know what? Honestly, Errol, I will become a believer in the Jets. But until that moment, when they're still involved in decisions, when they still have Joe Douglas, who, again, we don't know what Joe Douglas is going to be. I don't personally see Joe Douglas as a guy who is going to say to, to the owners, say to Woody and Chris Johnson, let me do my job, stay out of this, etc." They can get a head coach that can do that. If they can do a general manager that can do that, then I'll start to believe in the Jets and say, you know what, maybe Trevor Lawrence going there will have a shot. I disagree, Ryan, because uh, I think Joe Douglas is, has every, every what control right now of what's going on with the team. The reason why Adam Gase isn't fired because in the big picture, why fire somebody when Greg Williams last week or two weeks ago said what he said about the offense? Why would he give the reins to Greg Williams or Greg Williams caused a stir-off with, stir with the press? And then he'll try to win games and try to prove a point why he thinks that he's going to help the Jets when he's going to hurt the Jets. Keep Adam Gase in in line right now, so you can fire him at the end of the season. Either if you go 0 and 16 or 1 and 1 and 15, you're still going to get the number one pick because of strength strength of schedule. To me, the big picture is, and I, I, I'm honestly, I'm honestly, honestly going to say this: I love Sam Donald. I love him. I think he's going to be a star if he stays with the Jets or he leaves the Jets. I think Joe Douglas will figure this out. The offensive line last week didn't look good, but Makai Beckham is playing hurt. This is a line that's not 100% healthy. I think the COVID. Yeah, this is also a team that put Makai Becton in when he obviously wasn't healthy. Like, like there, there are so many situations you could point to the Jets and say they just don't put the. There's a lot of teams that do that, Ryan. There's a lot of teams that do that, Ryan. Arrow, on that Thursday night game, he came in and clearly. This is, first of all, this is not some wide receiver that you signed off the practice squad. This is not some running back that's just marginalized. This is your future cornerstone left tackle you took. And what was it, three games or four games into his career? He has a shoulder injury. He's obviously hurt, and they still dress him anyways in a case of emergency. And to be fair, I mean, it was bad luck that they got an injury to, uh, to get him in. But it's still to put him in that situation when he's obviously hurt and he needs to remove himself from the game when you're trying to risk someone who, who really – to be fair, he's maybe the only untouchable player in this entire organization so far. That's just, again, bad management. Mm, bad management, huh? How about Patrick Mahomes? Patrick Mahomes, how many times have we seen him really, really bad, bad hurt, and, uh, really hurt, and then get brought back in the second half to win a game? How many times have we seen Andy Reid do Errol. that? Come on, man. Are you, are, are, you really comparing, are you really comparing the culture of the Chiefs to Patrick Mahomes? No, no, but I, what I'm trying to tell you is there are teams that do that too. Good teams, good management teams do that too. I'm not trying to compare the Jets. When, when, when was Patrick Mahomes, like, honestly, like, one hit away from dying on the field to where we thought, wow, get him out of here. This is, this is a really bad decision. 
I don't really recall. Again, it's it's one small issue. Really, you don't recall but it? it? Remember, no. Remember, remember, remember last year? I think it was last year, New Mexico, when he hurt his ankle. Remember that in the first half? And he shouldn't have gone back into the game, and he went back into the game in the second half. Do you remember that? No, I, do. I honestly I don't. It. I don't. I do. I do. I do remember it. And and, and I remember Patrick Mahomes coming out, and everybody says, why do you bring him back? Why did Andy Reid bring him back into the game? You don't really need to. I mean, you're, you're, you're probably going to – I think it was in the middle of the season, if I'm not mistaken. I, I think they were in very good – they were very good position uh, in their division because the division stinks. It still kind of stinks. I, I love – by the way, I love Justin Herbert, and, and I was the one that said Justin Herbert was going to be the best player, the best uh, quarterback in, in last year's draft, and I still believe he's going to be the best quarterback in last year's draft. But I, I'm not comparing Kansas City to the Jets. I'm not doing that. I'm saying there are teams and good organizations that everybody thinks so damn good. And by the way, Kansas City, when was the last time they won a Super Bowl until, until last year? They haven't won a Super Bowl since 1970, okay? They're not a very good organization until they brought in Andy Reid. Exactly, but that—that's exactly so, my point. Let the Jets do that. Let the Jets figure out who that next coach is. Hopefully, it's the right coach. Joe Douglas, I believe, is the guy. I really believe he is the GM of this team. I really think that this guy knows what he's doing. I really do. I, don't, I, I hope again. I hope so, and I hope you're right. My point is, the Colts. I mean, the Colts. The Jets need more culture than anything else. And I'm worried Joe Douglas, because the way we've seen this organization run and run and run, is that he won't get enough leash. Things will go because this again, this is a two, three, four year rebuild. This is not a this is not a draft Trevor Lawrence, get a wide receiver and let's go. This is a tear it down to the studs and build over again. I'm saying I hope that if Joe Douglas is the guy, which again, I'm not saying he's not. My point is I'm saying maybe the Jets don't need just someone who can pick good players. The Jets need someone who can take over an organization going first and foremost, and prevent the Johnsons from meddling, which they have done for years and years and years and years. That is my biggest point, and that's why, for me, if I'm Trevor Lawrence, I look at the Jets and say, that is not for me. No, no. I, if I'm Trevor Lawrence, I want to go to the Jets and prove, prove why I am one of those guys that everybody says I'm going to be one of the greats. I'm going to be the guy that everybody's going to be looking at in the league as the next Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, or the next big-time superstar in the league. I would want to go to New York and try to win in New York because the Jets have not been a good organization and have not really had that guy. Sam Donald is an inaccurate thrower. This guy is one of the most accurate throwers that we've seen come out of college football. The Jets haven't had a guy like that since uh, really Chad Pennington. Chad Pennington was the last accurate thrower. You know how long ago that was? Come on, man. I know. That was about 15 years. All right? So the Jets haven't had a guy like that. I think let this kid decide where he wants to go. I, I, I do believe that no matter what, Trevor Lawrence, if he goes into the draft this year, he's not going to be an Eli Manning. He's not going to be on a John Elway. He's going to go in with his head up high, and he's going to go to whoever drafts him because you heard every great quarterback. You heard Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, all these guys come out of the draft. Where do you want to go? I want to go to a team that wants me. I want to go to a team where I can show my talent and prove that I am the quarterback that they drafted. He wants to prove himself, come to New York, and win in New York. That's what I'm going to say about Trevor Lawrence. Don't baby, don't hide behind what Rodney White and Tim Tebow and every idiot says because they haven't won nothing. They haven't <laughs> gone anywhere. I don't want to hear it anymore from these idiots. Let somebody with a big let, let Joe Namath say that. Joe Namath didn't say that. This is the guy that won a Super Bowl. Well, of course, okay? Joe, Joe Namath is not going to say and, that. And, and, hold on, hold on. Joe Namath is taking shots at the Jets organization. 
organization, and he's coming out and saying, Trevor Lawrence should come into the draft, come to the Jets, and win for the Jets. If he's coming out there and he's saying that, you know for a fact that Joe, Joe Willie, whatever you want to call him, Joe Broadway, whatever, we need a guy that's going to go in there, be accurate, make every single throw, and I'm telling you, that offensive line, that they didn't really work together all season because they didn't have a preseason. They didn't have OTAs. They have played well when they're 100% healthy. When they're not healthy, you see what the line does. But that's with every line. Look at the Cowboys. Look at Pittsburgh when they, when they were hurt a year ago. Their offensive line wasn't as strong. So we can say that over and over and over again. And we understand that the Johnson or Johnson family are a bunch of idiots. We all know that. I, I'll tell you that's, straight that's out. That's my biggest point, Arrow. That's my biggest point right there. But guess what? There's a lot of bad owners in the league. And there are a lot of bad owners in the league that have won Super Bowls. A lot. Okay? So, uh, I, again, I, I, there are 16 teams in the NFL. The Chicago Bears, are they a very well-run or, or organization? Honestly, they won Super Bowls. Come on. Yeah, there back in the heyday. Kansas City, they were a bad-run organization for years. They won a Super Bowl. I mean, they, you have to get the right guy in place. Now, I think Joe Douglas will find the right coach. Adam Gase isn't the guy. Adam Gase wasn't his pick. I think he knows who he's going to bring in in the offseason. I think the Jets know who they're going to bring in. I just think they've been interviewing. I heard they've been interviewed since week four. When you heard Hurt, the Hurt come on and said the Jets reached out to a bunch of coaches in the NCAA. I think the Jets are starting to hunt. And they're I, looking for the right guy. Here we, again, here we are. Like, this is my arrow. This is my point. The Jets are already talking about new head coaching hires as their head coach is still employed. Like, it's, I, I, I got to run. I'm sorry, but th- there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack here for the Jets. And obviously, we'll have plenty of time between now and the draft to discuss it. I, 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 I love talking to you, man. And I, I love arguing with you. And uh, we got to, we got to get a show together. We can do a show, even if it's once a month. I think it'll be really, really funny. I think the fans would really, really like it. There's a lot of people that told, told me that you and Ryan are so different. You guys yes. would be awesome. I think this conversation it. highlighted that well, huh? Yes, I, I, <laughs> I do. I, I think it's a great conversation, man. Great show today. Errol, appreciate you coming on, buddy. Thanks so much for the passion. Absolutely. <laughs> the great, the great. Arrow Marks, not happy with my Jets thoughts. When we come back, week number eight, three things I'm watching before the great Bill Benner joins us in 10 minutes. And it's Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And we are back here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network very quickly here. Because we had that, I'm very excited to get to Bill Bender next. The three storylines I'm watching out most for in the NFL this week. Who are the Raiders? Right, Raiders are traveling to Cleveland to take on the Browns. Raiders have beat teams like the Panthers, the Saints, the Chiefs. All three competent teams, Saints and the Chiefs will be playoff teams. Lost to the, Bill, uh, the Bills? Okay. Patriots that, were, that are lost are looking worse and worse, than, and obviously the Bucks just last week. Can the defense give themselves any sort of opportunity to have success? The offense is a, is a playoff caliber offense. The defense is historically, well, not, I shouldn't say historically because the Cowboys are playing this year. Uh, Raiders' defense is very bad. Second most points per game allowed in the NFL, fifth most passing yards. Can they slow down the Browns up to get a win? Can their defense turn the corner to put themselves in contention to be a playoff team? That's what I'm looking for. Can two be protected? It's two a time in Miami starting this week against the Rams. Can the offensive line keep two upright? 
They're starting two rookies on the right side, which as a lefty for Tua Tagovailoa is his blind side. Solomon Kinley, Robert Hunt, both rookies, a right guard and right tackle. Miami has some concerning pass-blocking numbers. According to ESPN, their stats and info, the Miami offensive line pass-block win rate, which calculates how long offensive linemen can keep their blocks for 2.5 seconds or longer. They are 30th in the NFL. Not good. So I'm, I do trust, and I talked about it on the show already, I trust that Brian Flores is making the right decision. I trust that two is ready. I trust the team is ready. But now we'll actually see it in action. Can the offensive line keep two upright? I, I, fingers crossed, I hope so. That was my biggest concern with Tua going to the Dolphins was their inability to protect him. I hope that's the case. And three, biggest game of the weekend, Steelers-Ravens. 6-0 Steelers, 5-1 Ravens. Or 4-1, yeah, 5-1 five, five Ravens, excuse me. Can the Ravens get their swagger back? This is one of the few opportunities the Ravens will have to play a really, really, really good team. Right, they already lost to the Chiefs back in week three. They looked flat. Last year, they were bullies. They were boisterous. They were confident. We have really yet to see that so far this year. We have really yet to see, for the most part, the Ravens kind of come out with that swagger, that cockiness that we're so used to seeing, seeing them have. Will they have that again when they play Pittsburgh this weekend? That's what I watch for in week number eight. When we come back, I'm very excited. Hour number two here on the Ryan Hickey Show. Bill Bender, the great college football reporter for Sporting News, Big Ten aficionado. We have a lot to talk about in the Big Ten, including the game of the weekend. Just like we all thought, for first place, Indiana and Rutgers. Got to talk about that matchup. And, of course, a little matchup coming on later on in Happy Valley, Penn State, Ohio State. We'll get all of that next with Bill Bender. Is there anything to be concerned about with Ohio State? Can Penn State keep it close? We'll discuss with Bill next. It is the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome in back to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Ryan Hickey Show with you until 11 a.m. Eastern. One hour down, one to go, and I'm very excited for our next guest. Because last time we had Bill Bender... Sporting News National College Football Writer. Find Bill also on Twitter at BillBender92. It was a very depressing conversation. It was right on the cusp of Big Ten announcing that they will not play football this fall. It was a very dark time in my, in my life. It was a very dark time, I'm sure, in Bill's life. But Bill, just two or three months later, look at us. We are talking about college football, real college football in the fall. Who would have thought? No, and it's, it's great. And you know, we've been able to play football and, and try to get everybody in action. And uh, there's obviously been a ton of hitches. The Big Ten had a big one this week with Wisconsin. Um, you know, I think we both learned, I, I can't speak for you, but I know speak for my family that we just kind of live day to day, week to week and enjoy what we have at this point. And um, hopefully we have some more football going into November. I'm with you there. And you're right. Just when you, it's almost impossible to get comfortable. Cause I know at least for myself, Anytime I kind of have where, not that you pretend the virus is gone, but you just think, okay, like, you know, this sport is kind of out, you know, it, the, the virus can't get in again, as we see, like you said, with baseball or so, with Justin Turner recently and, and that whole thing. And now, as you see, like you said, with Wisconsin having to cancel their game because of an outbreak. So we'll start right there, Bill. So realistically, as we say, right, nine games in nine weeks was a massive challenge for the Big Ten. They thought they could do it. I th- honestly thought they could do it because they're testing every day. You kind of weed out maybe that chance for an outbreak. As we see, one, one week in Wisconsin – prove that can't be the case realistically in your mind how many games can the big 10 actually fit in well i mean 
six to seven, uh, you got to figure there's going to be more outbreaks among the teams. The big question with Wisconsin that I had yesterday wasn't that they had to cancel the Nebraska game. I mean, that's obviously going to happen. It's what about Purdue? I mean, when your program is on pause for seven days, when you uh, might not have a quarterback room other than Danny Vandenboom at this point, yeah. and when you have two days for, to prepare for a Big Ten game, I mean, college teams are creatures of habit. So it, all of those questions are kind of swirling around right? Wisconsin, who in my mind, is the Big Ten West favorite. After how they looked against Illinois, there's no doubt about that. So it will be interesting to see how, when they come back, what, the, the as you know, Ryan, the, the big thing here is that the Big Ten did not allow themselves any flexibility, and it's really coming back to haunt them. Right. Like, I thought personally that the second, I guess, version of the schedule they put out there where I forget if there's two or three bye weeks built in, but there was a ton of flexibility, and I was just seeing so far at the ACC, the SEC, the Big 12 – They've had that flexibility because they started earlier, and canceling games isn't that big of a deal. But like you said, it's especially like you said too for Wisconsin for a team that the Big Ten was fair. I'm with you. The way Graham Mertz looked right away, and you think maybe this team could push Ohio State, maybe because really no other fourth team kind of emerged so far through the first month plus of, of college football. Maybe this team had an outside shot of the playoff run, and they said just when that those good vibes, good, good thoughts were flowing, Mertz is out, and now like you said, one game at least is canceled. It's it's a harsh reminder, it really is, what the Big Ten did. It is, and, you know, um, the 21-day rule is interesting as well. I mean, we've had – we're in the youth sports circuit here in central Ohio, and we've had things that have happened with that, you know, and certain people will have to be out for so many days. But 21 days, I mean, that's three weeks. And, and that was uh, something different than what the SEC and ACC has done. The SEC, I think, has actually managed – the outbreaks ranging from, you know, Florida to teams like LSU and Tennessee before the season and obviously Nick Saban. And they've found a way to continue to push through. The NFL, because of their schedule flexibility, has been able to kind of push through and knock on wood. You know, I'm literally doing it right now that hopefully <laughs> they uh, can uh, push through the schedule because it, it's it's working. And I, I, I still think, and this is pure speculation, I have nothing medically to back this up. I just think that not having fans or having limited fans definitely helps. I that's that's interesting, yeah, because that's it. It has been different for sure. I told myself I wouldn't complain, you know, and just be grateful that that football is back. And like I said, one of those, you know, one of those areas where no fans hurts is a team like Penn State, my alma mater. As we go, you know, this is obviously a big week for them taking on Ohio State. Without a whiteout crowd, is obviously a, a damaging factor for them. Um, so I'm curious to flip it around on those sides. You are in Ohio. Obviously, you cover and look at this uh, Ohio State team very up close. Watching that game last week against Nebraska, Bill, I'm not sure how you felt. I kind of had some concerns, some even shades, if you will, back to that, that 2018 version of the Ohio State defense. Nebraska got 210 rushing yards on them. Is there any reason for concern in your mind that maybe Ohio State isn't as bulletproof, isn't as vincible as we were led to believe, let's say, leading into this game? Well, I mean, losing Chase Young, they're, they're going to have to figure that out because it was almost like they were, I don't want to say spoiled, but it was a luxury to have Chase Young because he made it impossible for Big Ten offenses. I think one of the things Joel Klatt said on the telecast that made the most sense was, you know, last year offenses were going at him and they had two and a half seconds to get the ball off against two All-American corners. Now, Ohio State still has a lot of talent on the defensive line. Um, and, and that'll continue to develop. But yeah, I mean, that would be 
if you had two nitpicks at Ohio State, it was that, yes, Nebraska ran the ball on them, and two, it took a little bit for Master Teague and Trey Sermon to get going. They mm-hmm. don't have J.K. Dobbins either. And I, I, but Justin Fields covers a lot of that up with Oof. the way he plays in the passing game. He is. He is absolutely unbelievable. We're talking to Bill Bender, Sporting News, National College Football Writer. Follow, tw- follow Bill excuse me, on Twitter, easy for me to say, at BillBender92. So, Bill, speaking of which, right, there's two nitpicks there that I think you could talk about. Like I said, the rushing game, absolutely, and then the ability to stop the run on defense. So I'm curious. From a Penn State perspective, right, this is a team that really, really, I'll say inconfident for the most part. The only team in the last five, six years that's really been able to push Ohio State consistently. Right, We saw Iowa do it one year. We saw Purdue do it one year. But on a year-in-year-out basis, James Franklin and Penn State have really been the only team to push Ohio State year in and year out. Is there anything this year specifically for this game that you think Penn State could do to exploit Ohio State and I mean, at least at this point, keep the game close. Could we, could we keep it like, you know, one score, you know, 10 points with going to the fourth quarter? Is there anything Penn State could do to keep it close? they got to be able to run the ball. I mean, and they've got to be able to, I don't want to say like slow the game down, but control their possessions with running the ball. They can't miss three field goals again. They can't <laughs> have three first half turnovers. It'll be over pretty quickly if they do that. I think Sean Clifford has to be lights out. You go back to last year's game, I mean, they made it a four-quarter game. They, they stayed within striking distance. The defense was good, um, and they they managed to keep the ball in front of them in terms of not allowing too many big plays in the passing game, and that's the other thing. I mean, you've got to make sure that Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson aren't just running free 20 yards down the field. Um, so I think all of those things are at work. And to your point, yeah, I mean, on the field, they've been Ohio State's big, biggest competition the last three years. I would argue that Michigan and Penn State are kind of 2A and 2B, depending on which team is home, and that has kind of bared out in the standings the last couple years. But um, Michigan, just their games against Ohio State the last two, three years haven't really been competitive. No, they have not. I'm going to get to Michigan in a second here, but one less than at least with specifically to Penn State and Ohio State. So now, obviously, as you know, you you know the great Ken Carmen very well, morning host in, in Cleveland. And I love Ken. We both love Ken. He does the thing on a show I'm about to steal right now, right? I have a theory. It's something that he does on his morning show a ton. And I'm about to steal that because I have a theory I want to kind of run by you and get your thoughts. So watching that Penn State uh, game against Indiana on Saturday, to me at least, again, I understand the circumstances, right? No spring football. The training camp was truncated. It was just very different than a normal year. So when you bring a new offense coordinator in Kirk Scirocco, it's tough to implement your system. To me, it looked a lot like Ricky Ryan's system. looked a lot like the offense last year. Um, so I'm, I'm, this is a theory I have. And I want to run it by your expert mind. Because of the lack of familiarity, really, with the new offense coming for Penn State, because they have Ohio State Week 2, and because, again, because of this weird offseason, there's really less information out there more than ever. Is it possible, in your mind, that James Franklin and Kirk Scirocco kind of kept this offense bland on purpose in Week number 1 to really not give Ohio State any sort of hints heading into this game? Is that at all possible? Maybe at the outset, but then they had to turn it on in the second half. I mean, that, some of that goes out the door when you're losing a game. And... uh They committed a lot of turnovers. I think Sean Clifford, he was a scrambler at times more than a quarterback. But, I mean, they've got good receivers. They do. And, you know, Washington's a good young one. Dotson, obviously. Pat Fryermuth is a, you know, other than maybe Kyle Pitts, the best tight end in the country. And, uh, you know, uh, it's one of those things where uh, we'll continue to see how that offense evolves. But, yeah, I mean, on to that theory, maybe they – they held some things back. I mean, the biggest thing they're going to be missing, as you know, and Urban Meyer pointed it out this week. I mean, when a whiteout legitimately is a seven to ten point advantage, 
and I've been at a couple of those where you see it and experience it and you just know, I mean, how does the other team function in this environment? Yeah, it's, it's not, it's not, it's yes, that, that is definitely going to be a, a big miss, unfortunately, whether it's on the broadcast, like I said, if you're in person, it's uh Incredible, incredible experience. So, Bill, I'm curious. With that said, right, seeing how Penn State came out in the first game, seeing how Michigan, on the flip side, looked very dominant in their win over Minnesota, is Penn State still, in your mind, the biggest hurdle to Ohio State going back to Indianapolis this year, or do you think it could be a different team, maybe that Michigan team down the road? Uh, Michigan looked pretty good. I mean, here's the thing, and I I pointed to this stat all offseason, and I think I've said it on Ken's show a few times, where, Wisconsin, Penn State, and Michigan are one and twenty-two against the Buckeyes since Urban Meyer took over. The only victory oh, wow. was when, yeah, the only victory was when Grant Haley blocked a field goal on a kick that Ohio State shouldn't have kicked. So, when you know all of those things, I mean, and I think Michigan takes the brunt of that right. because of the rivalry, because of the nature of it. But so that's why I said Michigan, Penn State, Wisconsin, call them two A, two B, two C, depending on the year. Um, but none of them are beating the Buckeyes. If you took Ohio State out of the Big Ten, the race between the Badgers, Wolverines, and Nittany Lions would be great every year (laughs) because they're all so even. Um, So, but back to Michigan, yeah, Joe Milton looked good. He's the best quarterback Harbaugh's had. And I say that after one game because he's the best getting the ball down the field quarterback Jim Harbaugh's ever had. And uh, he does it pretty easily. Now, they have some concerns, too. And I think Minnesota was a touch overrated. I, I think I said that on Ken's show last week. Did I, did I say on his show that I thought Indiana had a better chance to upset Penn State than Minnesota? I believe did so. I, I'm pretty that, sure that, that's what yeah, was I'll on have the to record. Check, double check with Carmen just so I'm not embellishing here. But, um, <laughs> you know, yeah. And I think Michigan and Penn State are probably pretty on pretty even footing as programs. And Penn State's been a little bit better at recruiting. But, I mean, again, James Franklin hasn't won at Michigan Stadium, and that's something that's coming up in a few weeks. Yeah, oh, yeah. And uh, and I guess with that, too, I just feel like watching Michigan year in a year. Now, I'm not sure, again, it's one game, like I said, maybe Minnesota's a little bit overrated, but Joe Mutton, like you said, looked good. This offense, for the first time under Jim Harbaugh, since he's gotten there, looked actually fun and exciting. So it's I, I want to I do want to buy in to Michigan just because it's it's something different. Like I said, they they've gotten they not only lost to Ohio State in recent years, they got their their tours blown off. Right. But it almost I don't know about you if you feel about this or agree, but almost just like looks like a mental block, whether it's starting with Jim Harbaugh and trickles down to the team or vice versa, that no matter how good they are the first ten, eleven games or in this year it's gonna be seven games, leading to that Ohio State game, no matter what their ranking is, no matter the momentum they have, no matter even if Ohio State's struggling like they in past years under Meyer, they were kind of limping to the finish. And then that game comes and it's just like, you would never think the two years were going the way they were. Cause Michigan would just get their doors blown off every year. Is this, can you, and again, it's one game. I understand. Is there anything you can kind of point to say, maybe this year could be different from Michigan perspective, maybe drop the losing streak. Cause it's been 15, the last 16 years. They haven't even been close in a lot of these games. It'll be a turning point one way or the other. And I say that in terms of the three that they've played under Harbaugh at Michigan stadium, haven't been close. The three, the, the two that they've played at Ohio Stadium have been very interesting for different reasons. Obviously, in yes. 2016, 2016 was the last chance Michigan had to beat them and with the spot and everything that went into that. That was the game that Michigan kind of blew and had a chance to win. Um, 18, they were favored. Remember yeah. coming off the revenge tour and it beat Penn State soundly? It, it, they were favored by a lot, I think. And uh, 
Ohio State just torched them with Dwayne Haskins. So that's why I say this is 2020. They have not won at the shoe since 2000 when Drew Hans- Drew Henson was their quarterback. <laughs> that's that's a crazy stat. Yeah, too. wow. Um, but one way or the other, and I have a suspicion that if they both teams played all of their games, that Michigan will probably be either seven and zero or six and one. And I'm pretty sure Ohio State's going to be seven and zero. That it's going to be another turning point for Harbaugh and Michigan in that rivalry, one way or the other. It's going to be really interesting because, like you said, like even go back to that 2018 year, really quick. Like that was a, that was a year where Ohio State's defense, as you remember, was just putrid. Like they were playing close games to Minnesota before Minnesota was this was this good. They were playing close games to Nebraska. That defense couldn't stop a nosebleed. They got, I believe, that was what the Purdue year, I think with Dwayne Haskins, and then it's just like they shut down Michigan's offense. They had all momentum, oh, and yeah. it's just, yeah, it's just, yeah. and they, right, and they. The, the week before, they almost lost to Maryland. Like, yeah, that, that's that game right. Could have been played. That game could have theoretically been played with Michigan already having won the Big Ten. Oh, and, and they still could. I know. Wow. But but the, but that's what that game does. It just makes you forget everything else. It, Ohio State, the way that they've just obliterated the and it's really the same case with Penn State. Remember, not. Last year, I didn't think Penn State was going to beat them, but they still made it a four-quarter game. But two years before that, I mean, fourth-quarter comebacks that really mm-hmm. make you – I know you don't want to talk about <laughs> them, but um, they make you forget – they literally make you forget everything else because if Penn State closes them out, maybe Trace McSorley leads a playoff run. If, uh, you know, JT Barrett doesn't lead a comeback the year before, maybe Penn State's in the playoff. It is really a wild – how the Buckeyes control the narrative, and they do it by winning these big games. Absolutely. And like you said, right, we just point to three, four examples right off the top of our head in the last two or three years where, one, like I said, one, one team closes it out. It's not they need a miracle play. One team closes a game out or just makes one play. And we're talking about, you know, a totally different Big Ten standings. We're maybe not talking about Ohio State being as dominant as they have been. But like I said, that's why they're so elite. They win those big games, and they know how to close out games better than anybody else in the Big Ten, and I think I, I would agree, Bill. I think this is going to be a similar year to that. So before we wrap up, we got to talk about the matchup of the weekend so far. Indiana and Rutgers for the Big <laughs> Ten East lead. Bill, go, I mean, go figure. Could put this game on national TV, ABC? Like, holy smokes. Um, yeah, uh, this, this is what I told somebody earlier this week, Ryan, was if you told me – that on Halloween, undefeated <laughs> Rutgers and undefeated Indiana were going to be playing. You tell me this back in January. You would have an undefeated Indiana and Rutgers going at it on Halloween after you take your kids trick-or-treating. Um, I, I would have taken that bet in every single way. So, you know, um, Rutgers look good, though, uh, you know, for what they are. And I always tell people, and, you know, we, I know you'll subscribe to this, fit matters. and great. Nobody fits Rutgers more than Shiano. And I look for that to continue with that program improving. That's a tricky game for Indiana coming off a big win. Honestly, they've got to be careful there. I, I totally agree. I, I, it's weird to say to watch out for Rutgers, and this is like a, a spunky bunch, but watching that game, just, just I agree. And that kind of leads me to our last question here. We're talking with Bill Bender, Sporting News National College Football Writers. I thought at least for me, I, I'm not sure. If, I don't want to put words in your mouth, so I'll, I'll ask you this one. But was, Ruck, was Greg Schaun taking over Rutgers the biggest rebuild of all the new head coaching hires in, at, the, at the jump? for the in the big 10 i mean it is but i i think mel tucker's got a lot of work to do so that that was um, my question who has the bigger who has the bigger hill to climb to get back to relevance is it michigan state or is it greg uh, or is it Rutgers? 
Mel Tucker for sure. Whew. And I think it's wow. because they were a playoff team five years ago. Mm-hmm. They're the only other Big Ten team to make playoffs. Yeah. But in the final years of D'Antonio's tenure, the recruiting lagged a little bit. I think that's why this week is a big measuring stick for them. I don't think they're going to beat the Wolverines. I do think it's going to be a little bit closer than the blowout most are projecting just because of the in-state nature of that rivalry. And I, I probably overvalue that sometimes with two teams. Um, but rest assured, you know, given the history of those two teams, if Michigan's up big, Jim Harbaugh, and they score late, he will not apologize for that, like Ryan Day did to yeah. Scott Frost last week. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't expect that. But Michigan State won't turn the ball over seven turn- times this week. But they have a lot of work to do. And I think it starts with getting back to recruiting on a level that isn't just – they've got to try to keep up with Penn State and Michigan too. D'Antonio was great at the three-star kid, right? Mm-hmm. He was taking that three-star kid, putting a chip on their shoulder, and maxing them out. That might not be good enough anymore when Penn State and Michigan are recruiting the four-star kids. Yeah, and especially if you, if you don't have a coach. Like you said, my, Mark D'Antonio capitalized on that. If Mel Tucker, if he still needs talent to be successful, he you know if he kind of doesn't want those blue-collar, we'll say, kind of players that D'Antonio kind of built the program off of, that's also, you know, you're really at an even bigger disadvantage maybe than Rutgers. It's crazy to right. think. Holy cow. Right. And they, they did capitalize on some level on Michigan being down between mm-hmm. Rodriguez and Hoke and Penn State coming out of probation. Mm-hmm and those kind of things. And now that I would say, I don't think Penn state and Michigan are necessarily national championship contenders, but they are functional big 10 programs that can compete with it. Pretty much like we said, everybody, but Ohio state. And that's a problem for the Spartans because they got to play those guys every year. Right. Especially, you know, if Indiana's on the come up and all of a sudden, you know, if Rutgers can just, just be a feisty, like, you know, you're looking at Michigan state kind of being in the toilet now pretty soon, them in Maryland every, every single year, it's going to be uh yeah, not something I kind of thought could happen. I thought Rutgers was just just in a hopeless place, but you I again say it's one game off of a wacky offseason and Mel Tucker got there super late. But man, that was just they were outclassed. They were outclassed by Rutgers, something you never thought, especially at home. Mind you, something you could ever see, but Bill, uh, uh, this is I can't tell you how happy I'm be talking about real Big 10 football here. It makes me so happy. Thanks so much for coming on. Really do appreciate the the, the time. Hey, no problem, Ryan. Thanks for having me on. Great Bill Bender. Again, Sporting News, National College Football Writer. Fine Bill. All his great stuff at BillBender92. When we come back, I want to hit on with something Bill said. Is this Ohio State's biggest hurdle to the Big Ten title is this weekend against Penn State? So well, I think the answer is still yes. So when the Ryan Hickey Show returns right here on the World Wide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We are just about, as we welcome you back here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, 15 minutes or so from Hickey's Pickies Week Number 8 Edition. Guy Teddy Pilar is a Penn State grad. Try to bring some of that good mojo, some of that good juju here. See if we can both either try to will Penn State to at least be in the game. But we'll see. We'll get his thoughts as well. He is not feeling too confident, which actually is a good thing. Because you go back to last week when Rob Young was on the show, he was extremely confident. Guaranteed four to five. You get the four to five right. Just 
got and said, you know, there was four to five wrong. He's in the basement, one and four, tied with Maldi. And Ted was also on 2020 Apocalypse. Didn't do too great. I believe he was out in the first round of the playoff, but he made the playoff. So congratulations to him. We'll see how his picks will do in just about 15 minutes or so on week eight of Hickey's Pickies. And as a reminder, because we always are coming to you live from the Big Eater of the Pizzeria Studios, whether it's great pizza, hot heroes, and phenomenal dinners, especially on a dinner today when it's raining, it's miserable, it's dreary, you don't want to cook. You can go to Big Eater of the Pizzeria in person in Medford, Joe's Pizzeria in Bayshore, or anywhere. Order online, BigEaterThePizza.com. Nothing like a nice pizza, a nice warm pizza on a cold, dreary Thursday morning. So I do want to kind of just touch on dive into a little bit here with the Penn State Ohio State game. We talked about it with Bill about whether this is still the biggest obstacle. Is Penn State still the biggest hurdle for the Buckeyes to clear in getting to Indianapolis? Right? Obviously, they're on the road this week at Penn State, number 18. At least all the Nittany Lions coming off that. Lost to Indiana or Ohio State again. Cruise past Nebraska. Now, it may seem like the answer is an easy one. And no, right? You look at Penn State. They're missing their best linebacker, one of the best players in college football, Michael Parsons. They're missing their second best player, best offensive player, and running back, Journey Brown. They're missing their backup running back and Noah Kane. So they're down to their third string running back and two true freshmen. They're missing their linebacker who's supposed to help replace Michael Parsons and Jesse Lucetta is now out for the first half or targeting last week. So you are missing four big-time, prime-time, important contributors to this game. You're coming off a loss to Indiana, which the offense sputtered. The defense played well but didn't really play well when they needed them to. When you relied on the defense to make a play, they couldn't come through. The special teams was a total, total, total disaster. So with all that said, with all that negativity out there, with the realization that Penn State this year, right now, on October 29th, 2020, is not the same team that we thought they were going to be, let's say in March or February or January, before the shutdown happened, before opt-out started. I'll ask this question. Is Penn State still the biggest threat to Ohio State in the Big Ten to go to Indianapolis and maybe even win it all? To me, the answer is yes. This is still the biggest hurdle. This is still the biggest test on Ohio State's schedule until they get to Indianapolis. Maybe they play Wisconsin. Maybe they play Minnesota. But even still, maybe even then, this still might be the biggest threat. Because look at their schedule. I'm not saying Penn State's going to win this game. I'm not saying, honestly, Penn State might. I still don't even know if I'm going to pick Penn State to cover the game. They're missing so much. But when you look at the rest of their schedule so far, they have Rutgers next week. Okay. Rutgers look good against Michigan State, but... I'll just say this. The gap between Michigan State right now and Ohio State is wider than the width of this country. At Maryland, you think the Rutgers between Ohio State gap is wide. That gap between Maryland and Ohio State is even wider. Distance from here to the moon. It is massive. But Indiana, scrappy team. To be honest, I think Indiana got, got lucky. Penn State had to beat themselves in a bunch of different ways in order to win that game and have a chance. I don't think Indiana is a legitimate contender at Illinois. See Rutgers, see Maryland, Michigan State, see Rutgers, see Maryland, see Illinois. And obviously the big one, the big game at the end of the year, home against Michigan. Michigan, obviously, talent-wise, has the best argument. Maybe even talent-wise is probably, honestly, more talented this year specifically than Penn State. I'll give Michigan that. But kind of what we talked about with just Bill recently, I don't trust Michigan despite how they looked with Joe Milton last week, to play well against Ohio State for whatever reason. And I think it starts with the head coach and trickles down because there's so much pressure now on Jim Harbaugh to beat Ohio State because Ryan Day has that thing humming. 
because the recruiting gap is the way it is. And it sounds like, even going back to last year, Ohio State takes this game more seriously. They build their entire year around beating Michigan. And when it comes down to it, even if Michigan's 7-0, like Bill said, the possibility, or maybe you know 6-1 if they trip up along the way, I still think this Penn State game this weekend is going to be a bigger obstacle, more difficult than Michigan at the end of the year. And again, despite the injuries, despite the opt-outs, Penn State has consistently been the only team the last five years or so to consistently push Ohio State year in and year out. Last year, right, when Ohio State was dominant, when they ran through the league, by far the most dominant team they've had, so really since 2014, when they won the national title. Right, Justin Fields is that much of a game changer. They really didn't have any holes because that defense was locked down. That was Ohio State's best team since 2014. Last year, when you look at Penn State's game against Ohio State, in the horseshoe, mind you, they held Ohio State to 28 points, the lowest it scored all regular season. It was the closest margin of victory for Ohio State the entire year. They won by 11. It's 28 to 17. And you go back 2017, lost 39 38. 2018, they lost 27 26. They've been knocking on the door. And more times than not, especially in 2017 2018, uh, Penn State had, were in positions to succeed and win that game and blew it. Both times they blew double digit fourth quarter leads. They had the game to three quarters and blew it. So when you look at this, not rival, when you look at this matchup, when you look at this series so far, since James Franklin has got to Ohio State, uh, since James Franklin has got to Penn State, the average margin of victory in the Penn State Ohio State series since 2014 is 8.5 points. Just a little more than a touchdown, right? Basically, a little more than one possession game. Four of the last six meetings have been one possession games. So they've been close. Penn State's won one. Ohio State's won the rest. But they've been close. Well, now you look at it. Let's look at it from Michigan's perspective. Because, again, this is not the first time Michigan has some hype. This is not the first time that Michigan's been good. The average margin of victory for Ohio State over Michigan in that same time period since 2014 is nine. Oh, sorry, since 2015 when Jim Harbaugh got there is 19 points. So since James Franklin's got there, it's been basically a little more than a touchdown. Since Jim Harbaugh's got there, Ohio State's beat Michigan by almost three touchdowns every time. The Buckeyes have beaten the Wolverines eight straight times, 15 out of the last 16. So to be honest, call me a homer. I understand I'm wearing a Penn State sweatshirt. That's okay. I I promise you I'm just trying to be realistic here. I can't buy into Michigan. I can't think that they are going to be the difference maker. I can't think that they are going to actually give a legitimate run to Ohio State until I actually see it. Because time and time and time again, since Jim Harbaugh has been there, we've talked about Michigan. Is this the year they can get over Ohio State? 2016, they had Wilton Spate. They were on an insane, phenomenal run. They were a playoff team. Going into the horseshoe, they're losing double overtime. They allow, you know, a late field goal. Overtime was controversial. I think they made the right call. But, again, they were close. They were very close. 2017, blowout. 2018, as Bill Bender just mentioned before, that was when Michigan was on their revenge tour. That was when they were rolling. They lost to Notre Dame to start the season, and they were winning and winning handily every single game after that. They were actually favored in the horseshoe against Ohio State team that honestly was one of Urban Meyer's worst in his tenure. That defense was terrible, just flat-out awful. They never really could put teams away because of that defense. And yet, when it comes to it, when push comes to shove, Michigan is everything going right in their favor in 2018. When Ohio State is still winning games, 
but they are nowhere near the down and low that Ohio State's used to being at. That game was not even close. That game was not even a contest. Michigan allowed 62 points. 62 to Dwayne Haskins. Again, not a great Ohio State team that year. And they ran him out of the building. They embarrassed them. So sure, Michigan looked good with Joe Milton in week one. They beat a solid Minnesota team. And they beat them handily. But I still think this weekend is the biggest hurdle for Ohio State. Now again, I think Ohio State's going to win this game. I think Ohio State's going to go undefeated. And they have a legitimate shot to make it to the playoff final. Not just, they're going to make the playoff. Make it to the championship. Win a game, maybe even win it all. They have legitimate shots to win it all. But with that said, when you look back, we look at their schedule, we see, okay, what is the biggest hurdle? What's the biggest roadblock that Ohio State has to get past this year? I still think despite the losses of Micah Parsons, Journey Brown, Noah Kane, despite the way the Penn State looked in their opener against Indiana, to me, the Navy Lions are still the biggest threat to Ohio State this year. And that's saying much because I don't think Penn State's going to win. I think Ohio State's going to bruise through the rest of their schedule, including Michigan at the end. Including Michigan at the end. So, it must be nice to be an Ohio State fan when you have Justin Fields. It, it helps. This should be, you know, maybe it will be a tricky game. I'm hoping it can get to the fourth quarter to be a, a close contest to give you something to root for. But Ohio State's going to win this game. They're going to win the rest of the games this season. But this is the game that I think if they get through, it will be a big exhale. Whew. They can move forward and they will cruise the rest of the season. So we'll get my guy Teddy's thoughts. Another Penn State alum. Does he have any faith that the Penn State and the Lions can pull a massive upset, just like they did in 2016, to be fair, and beat Ohio State, derail their playoff hopes? We'll get Teddy's thoughts, as well as a few other big-time NFL games with Hickey's Pickies next. It is the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We are back here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. No more fitting song to introduce our next celebrity picker for week eight of Hickey's Pickies than a Jimmy Buffett parrot head himself. The great Teddy Pilars, who last time he was on the show for 2020 Apocalypse, was joining us from a closet or a locked bathroom, excuse me, at work. So let's see, Teddy, are you back at work in a locked bathroom or are you at home this time? No, I'm at home now. Oh. So I, can, I can make these picks without, without as much stress. Without whispering or putting up a sign that you're at break. So you're okay. You're at home. No stress. No uh, hiding away from your boss. No, no. I can think more clearly on these picks. So that's good. <laughs> so nothing distracting you like last time. We'll, we'll blame that as the reason why 2020 Apocalypse didn't go too well. But you know what? We should give you bonus points for dedication because you're the only person who ever came on the show that hid in the bathroom at work. Um, to come on. So you know what? That that deserves some sort of prize. So we, we appreciate the dedication there, Ted. You're the man. There you go. Yeah, oh, no problem. <laughs> oh, very excited, Ted. As, as, you, as I told the audience before, I'll tell you it again. A Penn State alum. We'll get to that game last, kind of build up some anticipation, but obviously a big game for them this weekend. But an exciting slate, an interesting slate. You're a big Steelers fan. We'll get to that game here in a second. But I know we were talking earlier this week. You weren't too confident. You're a little nervous about your picks. Is that right? This is right. Yes. Um, 
So I was following the NFL for a smidge there when there was no Big Ten football. But then once Big Ten football came back and I knew Penn State was back and playing, all my interest in the NFL just went out the window. So that also has affected my, uh, my fantasy uh, knowledge <laughs> as well. So, you know, I'm second to last in my league right now. But you know what? It happens. All right. All right. Well, I think I think the lack of confidence worked because last week we had Rob on. Rob, early in the week, guaranteed he was going to get four to five picks right. He actually got four to five picks wrong. So maybe <laughs> you being uncertain, not being too sure, is the key strategy here to actually get some games right. I mean, our leader in the clubhouse right now for Celebrity Guest Picker at 5-0 and is Lauren Clark. And half the teams I mentioned, she didn't even know about. So maybe <laughs> less is more when it comes to making picks here on Hickey's Pickies. Less is more. There could be some truth to that. Uh, <laughs> we'll see how that strategy plays out. Ted, it's week eight. Are you ready to go? I'm ready. All right. We'll go. We'll start with the team that you know very well, the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Steelers. They're getting four points on the road at Baltimore to your hated rival in the Baltimore Ravens. What are you thinking here? So I think I only actually fully watched the first Steelers game of the year. Actually, no, that's a lie. I watched the Browns game. Um, my dad religiously has been watching every game. I the think Bud Man. that the Bud Man, yes. I'm going with the Stillers on this one. You know, um, I think that they're the best team in the league right now. A little biased on that, but I think <laughs> there's some other professional analysts that also, you know, say that too. So I'm going with the the, the Stillers. I so I will take. I'm with you. I'll take the Steelers to cover. I saw this crazy, crazy stat on the internet yesterday. On the great Twitter, the Twitter machine. Are you ready for this? I'm sure you know, but in case the audience doesn't know, I'll, I'll tell you this. So since 1999, the Steelers have won 23 games against the Ravens. The Ravens have beaten the Steelers 23 times. Oh. In those games, the, Ra the Steelers have scored 19 and a half points. The Ravens in those games have scored 20 points. Wow. Neck and neck, close and close. So you know what? If you're telling me you're going to get points on the road, I'm with you. This is going to be a very close game. I'll take the Steelers on the road to cover the four points. So we're both on the Steelers. All right. Yo, that's a crazy stat. Right? Field Yates had that on Twitter. Insane. You talk about a real a real rivalry, you know, dead even, right? The team, both teams have to win in order to make it a rivalry. I mean, you can't get much but, even than that. Yeah, I'm going to go Steelers with the X factor, though, because they actually got some Super Bowls in that time frame. <laughs> you know, so, you know, they have the, they have the edge on it. So they have what? Is it? Two to two to one edge, or so you're taking the Steelers there. The two to one Super Bowl edge, going back to Big Ben's early years, is, is going to be the difference. There's uh, a yeah, there's a hot a, take. A contributing factor. There is a hot take for you. I think Ben's playing good right now. No. Yeah, he's playing well. He had some bad yeah. turnovers last year, but he's playing. That elbow is looking better than I thought. I'll say that he's looking better than I expected him to be. At I think he's 38, coming off a season-ending injury last year. But so what was it the 2008 Super Bowl, 2009 Super Bowl? Uh, when they beat the Seahawks. When they uh, beat the Cardinals, the, the latest one. Oh, oh, that's the, that's the X factor. Oh. See that that's uh, yeah. That's where we bring on the show, Ted. No no expert I've I heard this week cite the fact that that 2008 Super Bowl victory of the Cardinals is what's going to propel the Steelers to win this game. That's why we bring you on the show. Mentality. It's a winning mentality. Winning mentality. They know how to win. I'm telling you, man, you should get a job in sports. This is this is you bring the expert analysis that no one else has. So if you're listening out there, you want to put some money down on the Steelers. Just remember. Two Super Bowls to one since 1999. That is a difference despite the wins being even, despite the points per game being essentially even. That is going to be the X factor. That is funny. 
All right, so game number one, we're both on the Steelers getting four points. Game number two, the Saints are giving four points to the Bears who are at home in Chicago coming off another bad offensive performance. Which way are you leaning here, Ted? You know, I don't really know too much about either teams. My knowledge on this one is just uh, Barstool Baycat always tweeting out negative things about the Bears, about how they're breaking it. So based on that information, I'm gonna go with the I'm gonna go with the Saints on this one. I am with you. The Saints are gonna go marching this week. They're given four points on the road, no problem. Because guess what? I'm not even sure the Bears' offense can score four points. You know, big genitals, Nick. You know, he's looked like a little Saint Nick out there, right? He is playing just terribly. Philly, I'm sure, is very disappointed. He's now like Philly Nick. We'll say that. So I'm with you. The offense of the Bears stinks. They can't score. Barstow Big Cat is very upset, so I'll, I'll back him. I'm with you. Saints laying the four, no problem. They will win, and they will cover. So, so far, so we are both on the Steelers at plus four. We're both on the Saints minus four. Go all the way out, Tim. We'll go all the way out to the Pacific Northwest. The 49ers are going on the road to Seattle. The 49ers are getting three points against the Seahawks. Which way are you thinking here? I'm thinking the 49ers on this one also. I've heard that the Seahawks' defense isn't that good this year. Also, I think it would make our mutual friend Jimmy Johns a little bit upset <laughs> if, the, if the Seahawks lose. So that'll be a nice little jab. can throw at Jimmy when I see him this weekend or next, or next time I see him. So I'm going with the 49ers. So just so the audience knows, you have a friend. His legitimate name, this is, this is his God-given legal name, is Jimmy Johns. Well, James Johns. James Johns. But everyone calls him Jimmy. That's his name, Jimmy Johns. And he is a massive Seahawks fan living in Maryland. This is correct because he likes ducks. And when he was little, I think he mistook the duck for the Seahawks. (laughs) No, hold on. I never knew that part. Jimmy is a Seahawks fan because he thought the logo was a duck? I'm pretty sure there's something in in that ballpark, yeah. I mean, I'll say this. I know the audience doesn't really know Jimmy Johns too much. That is very on brand. That is very on brand for Jimmy Johns. Holy smokes. <laughs> I'm with you. Screw Jimmy Johns. The, their defense thinks Jimmy Johns thinks the, the bird is a duck. 49ers play, getting three points on the road. I'm with you. I'll, t- I'll take it. <laughs> wow, so we're in agreement. Three for three. Steelers, Saints, and 49ers we have so far. Screw you, Jimmy Johns. <laughs> Holy smokes. That is, that is honestly too funny. So we'll go to the college route for these last two games. We'll go to the SEC matchup here. LSU and Auburn, a game we thought coming into this year would be a really good game. Neither are ranked. LSU, the road team um, going to Auburn, is giving three points. Which way are you rolling here, Ted? Battle the Tigers. A Tiger will win. I guarantee you that. The Tigers will win. The Tigers will win. Um, you know, <laughs> don't really know that much about the SEC this year. I guess I'm hearing that LSU lost a lot of players. They're a little bit soft right now or something like that. So I'm Wow. You're calling out their man to call them soft, huh? I don't huh? know. Maybe Coach O will fire them up before the game, but I'm going with Auburn on this one. Wow. Called them soft. I would agree. I, I'm actually with you. I'm taking Auburn. Both have been a roller coaster this year. Like you said, LSU has lost any player with talent outside of their great corner, Derek Stinley, has basically gone to the NFL that could have gone. So I'm kind of with you here. I think there's just because both have been so up and down. I'm gonna take Auburn. I'll take the home team. I think this is this is the week. Maybe the roller coaster could go up, and maybe that they'll get the win. But getting three points at home, I'll take the points as well. So wow, we are four for four. 
Steelers, Saints, 49ers, and Auburn. Wow, we may go. I don't think we've ever had someone on who agreed with all five picks, so we'll see here. Before we get to the big game of the weekend, I just want to let you know this, Ted. Our guy Nick is listening on Facebook. He comments, John's equals F-A-F. Frat as, and I'm sure you can figure out the last what the last F stands for. He, he <laughs> loves John's. He's a character. Jimmy, That's for sure. With the name Jimmy John's, honestly, you can't not be a character, you know? <laughs> you can't not be a character. He definitely portrayed. Uh, however, you you vision somebody in Jimmy John's. If you're listening right now, how you envision that? That is probably close to what Jimmy is, maybe even more. That's a spot-on description there. Yeah, he 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 is a wild wild card. That's that's a good one to describe. It's an absolute wild card. <laughs> All right, Ted. Speaking of wild cards, here we'll go with the biggest game of the weekend for both of us. Number three, Ohio State, giving twelve. Points on the road in a whiteout less Happy Valley, uh, number 18, Penn State. We brought you on here for some good vibes. You brought you on here to maybe, hopefully, will the Nittany Lions to not only keep it close, maybe if we can get some Bud Man magic here, get an outright victory. What are you feeling going into this game? So, if I was a betting man, I don't think that I would put... <laughs> 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 I, I think that a 12 spread is very generous for, um, you know, Ohio State here. I don't see Penn State making it close. However, though, it would be great for an upset. And I'm just, I'm going to, I got to pick Penn State on this one, even though not a lot of confidence in that pick. But, you know, hopefully Penn State can make it competitive. <sighs> this is... Gonna have to break out the lucky shirt for this one. Yeah, for real. I mean, this is gonna like a anything you can do to to get any sort of goodwill going here. Please do. Break out the rabbit's foot. Maybe you know if the Bud Man has some sort of relics as a Penn State collector. I'm sure he has some sort of like lucky mug that Joe. You know, he drank when Joe Powell was leading them to a national title or something like that. You got to break out all the. This is the weekend you break out all the stops. Now I'm with you. Now we were talking about this earlier in the week with our with our good buddy Rooks as well. When they had the opening line, I think it was like eight points or nine points, whatever. We both we all agree like, wow, that is that's a lot lower than honestly I thought it was going to be. I thought I think last year it was like sixteen or seventeen, and I thought okay maybe that's a little too much. Twelve is a number that I still think is not it could be not enough. But I, I'm gonna I'm with you. I think Penn State will cover for this reason. We've seen there have been times already with James Franklin at Penn State. Where they've had by far the le the less talented team, like they've closed the gap in recent years. But this is a year with injuries and opt outs that they are just the gap is as wide as maybe since James Franklin got there. But we saw even you know 2014 they went to double overtime with the team that won the national title. We've seen them keep it close. 2016 no one thought they were going to win that game and they won that game. I'm not saying Penn State's going to win. I don't think they're going to win. If you're telling me can they at least keep it competitive, keep it close when they've consistently done that year in and year out now. Just keep it within a 10-point game. I think, honestly, I think they can do it. I like their defense. They can get after the quarterback. Um, they, I mean, this is not maybe the best philosophy. I admit that. But can they, honestly, Ted, play any worse than they did last week? No. And you know what? My brother or somebody made a good point that 
you know, when you look at the stats of the game and how bad Penn State played oh. and for how close the score was, I mean, you know, you would think that they lost by like 100 points or something like that. So, you know, a little slow there. I think Sean Clifford looked good last week, too, minus the two interceptions. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> minus those just two awful he looked, passes. He looked, com- he looked comfortable back there. You know, I wasn't worried every time he threw the football. Like, you can't see that in the past about, you know, quarterbacks. I don't know. I think that, you know, there's, there's, there's hope. There's hope. Is all I'm I would agree. Uh, I just saw this stat by the great Matt Brown of The Athletic. Ohio State has won the last three meetings combined by a total of 13 points. So, again, obviously, as we know, it's been very close. I think they'll keep it close. 12 points spread. Yeah. I'll take the Nittany Lions. Again, 12 at home, minus the wideout, minus their best offensive player, minus their best defensive player. For whatever reason, I'll give James credit this. They match up James Franklin. Excuse me. I think I said that, but maybe not. They match up well, and they at least push Ohio State year in and year out, whether the talent's there or not. I think they can keep it close. They won't win. But then this will be, again, Ohio State's, as it's been the last few years, Ohio State's toughest game of the season. So we are 5-for-5 five five here. We both are on the Steelers plus 4. We both are on the Saints minus 4. The 49ers plus 3. Auburn plus 3. And Ohio, I mean, excuse me, Penn State plus 12. That is a hickeys-pickeys first, where we go 5-for-5 five five in agreement. So we're either both going to have an insanely good week or we're both going to have one of the worst weeks we've ever seen (laughs) and both be in last place because we've yet to have a a zero. Everyone's won at least one game. So hopefully that's going to be the case here. So, all right, Ted. Great minds minds think alike, right? Great minds think alike. I love it. I should have followed Lauren's advice week one. I would have undefeated. I'm going to follow your advice here for week number eight. We'll make the same mistake twice. (laughs) <laughs> so here's where we will differ. Is an upset special, Ted, right? So we'll, we'll get bonus points. You get one point if a team uh, – so you have to pick a spread with more than five points. If the underdog covers, you get a point. If they outright win, you get two points. So here's a chance to really make some bones here and really propel yourself in the stings. You can get this right. What upset special are you going with this week? I'm going with the Michigan Michigan State. Um, I feel like those teams always play each other close. You know, mm-hmm. I like rivalry games. I like the two. I like Michigan, Michigan State games. The spread on it, though. What's the spread on this game? I, I was just gonna ask you. All right, now I gotta do the work. Hold on. I, no, I know what it is. I mean, I saw it somewhere. Um, I know I it's it's it. way more than five. I, I can tell you that. Let me pull it up here really, really 20, quick. I think it's twenty-five. It's twenty-five. Let's see. Here we go. So, okay, here we go. All right. Uh, Michigan, Michigan State is right. As I'm looking at it right now, oh, is 24 17. and a half. Okay. That is a, I mean, <laughs> again, for, I'm kind of with you for an in-state rivalry game. You want to go this where Michigan State can't play any worse than they did against Rutgers. You know, it's, uh, yeah. that was a game I'll say this today. That was a game I was looking at. I was pondering. I was definitely, I definitely pondering. Oh, they kept it close against Rutgers. Ooh, wow. Wait. Oh, they. Oh, you didn't know. Rutgers. No, Rutgers didn't know smoked them. <laughs> you weren't kidding when you say you have your head buried on Penn State. Rutgers got Rutgers beat them by like two touchdowns at at Michigan State in East Lansing. Yeah, I'm still gonna keep that, but not a lot of confidence in that one. But you all know right, what? I'm, I'm gonna lock it in there. I can't lie to that again. That was the one I kind of thought. 24 and a half is a big number for an in-state rivalry where, again, I, I think there is some bad blood there, and that's one of those things where Michigan State, this is probably their Super Bowl. 
keep it close. So I actually, I, I kind of like that pick. And you know what? My upset special is going to stay in the Big Ten. It's going to have to do with that Michigan State game. I'm going to take the team that smoked Michigan State last week. I can't believe I'm doing this. I am taking the Rutgers Scarlet Knights at home getting 10.5 points against big, bad Indiana. Now, like we said, we watched that Penn State-Indiana game closer last week. Penn State outgained them by almost 300 yards. They held on to the ball for 40 minutes. And they did probably if – if Penn State corrected one out of basically 20 things, right, if they just did one thing different out of like 20 different instances, they win that game. So mm-hmm. while Indiana, again, did get the win, they, to be fair to Indiana, they made the plays when they had to make the plays. They also got gifted a lot of gifts by Penn State. I think Indiana is getting a little bit too much hype this week coming off that win. And Rutgers, I mean, they're, they, they, they're not a good team. I won't say that. But they were a scrappy, feisty, tough bunch. I think we haven't seen from Rutgers in years. They look just totally lifeless the last few years. They at least showed a pulse. They beat the crap out of Michigan State. So you know what? I think that in a game like this where maybe two teams are a little bit more even than we think, I think getting 10.5 at home, I think it is a way that, you know what? I'll take Rutgers. I will back the Scarlet Knights of all teams going into this game. Hmm. Yeah, I like that pick. I think, yeah. I so, think pick, Ryan. to run it down for Hickey's, Peakies, Hickey's Pickies, week number eight, one last time. Steelers at Ravens were both on the Steelers plus four. Saints at Bears were both on the Saints minus four. Seahawks, uh, 49ers at Seahawks were both on the 49ers plus three. LSU at Auburn were both on the Auburn Tigers plus three. Ohio State at Penn State were both on the Nittany Lions plus 12. Your upset special, Michigan State getting 24 and a half. At Michigan, I will take Rutgers getting 10.5 at home against Indiana. Ted, fingers crossed we can get ourselves a game tomorrow. Really do appreciate coming. This has been so much fun. We'll see how the picks go. Thanks for coming on, buddy. Thanks for having me on, Ryan. It's always a great time being (laughs) on the Ryan Hickey Show. Ted, you're welcome anytime. Anytime. That is the great Teddy P. Lars. Fingers crossed we can get some games that that are close this weekend. Fingers crossed that our alma mater, Penn State, can Again, just give us a reason to watch in the fourth quarter. That's, that's really all I'm asking for. That's all I'm asking for. So I'll do it for this Thursday edition of the Ryan Hickey Show. Really do appreciate you listening, wherever you're listening, on Facebook, Periscope, YouTube. Really do appreciate you commenting and uh, being a part of the show. Always love that. Hopefully you made your Thursday, your dreary Thursday, a little bit more uh, exciting, a little bit more fun. We'll be back on Monday to break down all of the NFL action, all of the college football action right here, exclusively on the World Art Sports Radio Network. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network.